0: Welcome to the Real Estate Agent Superstars Podcast. I'm your host, RJ Baxter, with Intercap Lending, and I have got with me today Robert Passifume with the Metro West team at Real Broker. Robert's a a powerhouse agent, and he's got some really interesting niches and stories from his career in real estate. He specializes, or one of the things he does is the divorce niche, which is really interesting, so we're going to talk about that. And he also was really involved back during the housing crisis and still to this day with the REO market. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So welcome to the show, Robert. Appreciate you being on. Thanks, RJ. appreciate you having me as well. I'm pretty excited to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. You've been in the business for a while now. Is that right? (laughs) When did you start? Uh, Started back in 2002, so about
1: 21 years. Yeah. Okay. I started out in origination, so with uh, a subsidiary of AmeriQuest. So that's what I started out. I was, yeah, I was about 22 years old. So I started out with that, um, went to an individual brokerage, and then because the refi boom completely shut off in 2000, 2003, um, moved into the REO foreclosure um capacity and and that just
0: spiraled into what you see today <laughs> okay yeah, very interesting so yeah i remember ameriquest back in the day yes um i had been with their
1: subsidiary uh, which was town and Country credit um i think a year or two after they took on um the main sponsor for the super bowl and uh okay yeah, it yep. was only a couple of years that they held that sponsorship and then kind of everything started to happen. And uh, right. AmeriQuest kind of fizzled out as quickly as they came to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So then then uh, just explain to me how the exodus happened to go into the REO space and to become a realtor ultimately.
1: Um, So in the REO space, that was happenstance. It was really just because REO companies at the time that disposed of assets Bank-owned assets on a national level were just growing exponentially because everybody's uh, default, everybody being most of the large banks, had a large default portfolio that just continued to to get larger and larger. Um, So they were hiring anybody they could and then would just train people um, in REO. Um, I'd have to say, you know, that that was my main experience that kind of started getting me to, uh, I guess, continue my career in real estate um, and not only that, I mean, the REO experience itself has taught me so many things that I feel I've brought to my, um, my profession today and how I handle business. Um, it's what also drove me to be the agent I am today. When I was um, in REO, I was fortunate enough to help dispose of 2,500 assets, homes mm. across the nation in about the 13 years I worked in that capacity. And with that, you get to learn a lot about the way different states do real estate, the way different real estate agents do different real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely taught me a lot. Um, you know, like I had mentioned previously, one of the biggest things was uh, when problems arise, which oftentimes they really do when homes are left vacant in certain cities and, and states, um, there were always constant problems. And with those problems mm-hmm. uh, came, you know, uh, something that had to be fixed, something that was, had to be resolved, whatever the case may be. Um, so oftentimes you found yourself running towards the problem instead of away from the problem. And I feel that's really something I took with me as a, as an agent that I always recommended with any new agents that come up is, is, you know, when a problem arises, it's best to, to put your heads together and run towards the problem, than away from the problem. Cause it's, it's just going to fall apart from
0: there. Absolutely. I think people sometimes are so they're, they're, Embarrassed or they're scared to admit that they there was a problem or they made a mistake. And I agree. The best way is just to acknowledge it, own it and and run towards it and solve it. I think people appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, you know, with that, um, there were, there were experiences that, uh, obviously were kind of just uh challenges in and of themselves i know i mentioned uh prior you know one of the the challenges i had was selling two mobile homes stacked on top of each other um, <laughs> yeah. and that was in anchorage alaska um with that being an anchorage alaska there are certain lenders lend on those homes um that are really like, yeah so most lenders think how do you get a loan on something that's two mobile homes stacked on top of each other um with siding completed on the side. Um, as I had mentioned before, you know, one huh. of them was uh you couldn't tell it was a mobile home on the second floor until you removed a portion of the drop ceiling and you saw the axles still remain <laughs> from that. Um so what I found is is that some of these local municipalities had banks that were a little bit more forgiving and understanding when it came Ooh. to the Dare I say, creativeness of of one individual trying to create a two story home? Um, so oftentimes, some of these homes would uh, would be originated on again, even as wild as they might sound, um, just because the local bank was aware of of I guess the condition of the home, the risk of the home, mm-hmm. the habitability of the home. So, um, yeah, some definitely some wild things. I mean, I working from anywhere from houses that people were murdered in. Um, and dealing with the aftermath of that, once the bake actually took possession of the home, um, to, you know, homes in, that had uh, literally siding being stolen every night. Previous owner would come, take a piece of the siding, walk off with it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was that was very interesting. When you contact authorities in East St. Louis, unless you have anybody that tells you that they are witnessing it, and they will do that in writing, apparently it never happened. <laughs>
0: Very interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Ah. So, what are what are some other interesting stories that you had back then?
1: Um, a couple of the most wild ones was probably another one up in Anchorage where someone literally left the home after they knew that it was no longer their asset, left the front door open, and left the home all winter. So, once you walked into the home, the entire home itself was frozen. So, multiple layers of ice on each side both on Mm. drywall, ceilings, et cetera. So it went through an entire winter of basically being frozen. So thawing that out with dehumidifiers and thawing it out in a slow time frame so it just didn't gush water everywhere was very interesting. Um, Also, I had one where uh, the gentleman thought that because this bank had taken his home, he was going to pay them back by pouring cement in every pea trap and sewer line at the home. So, awesome. yeah, not knowing that a deficiency judgment is going to be affected by how much the home was resold for, and in turn he's still going to be on the hook for for Ooh. what remains. But uh, yeah, those are some of the interesting ones that I that I uh, definitely had. Some of them were a little bit more interesting, but um, probably not as uh, interesting as those that that just really uh, affected your ability to. How am I going to resell this? Like. You literally had to think outside yeah. the box. Is someone going to buy this as is? Is someone going to buy this with all its problems? Do I need to repair it? Does the bank want to focus on this? Because the bank's not in the business to own homes. They're in the business to lend money. So right. majority of them didn't want these homes in their portfolio, portfolio for long periods of time. Uh-huh. Um, so oftentimes it was liquidating them. And if you can't change location, 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 what can you change? Price, price, price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so- times that's really what you had to convince the bank is that you're going to have to get this priced appropriately considering what you have.
0: Okay. So, so what year, year or years was this, that these kinds of things were happening? Was this before Uh, the housing crisis or during the whole, when this whole thing went down?
1: uh, Actually right before the housing crisis. So 03 to about 2010 was the biggest um, push. Obviously after 08, the Dodd-Frank act happened, there was a lot of, um, um, checks and balances that were put in um, with the uh, with the origination of loans. So, with that being said, the the floodgates started to slow a little bit in 2010 because there were things that were being done, such as modifications, etc. Um, so, I'd have to say from 2003 really hefty to 2010, and then up to about 2013. Um, and so forth. What really seemed to be happening is the volume. You know, the foreclosures will always be there, just like in the uh, savings and loan crisis in the 80s to, to you know, the the housing crisis in 08. It's the sheer amount. Um, and prior to 08, the banks had a lot on their books. Um, after 2010, a lot of people started paying their mortgages. The origination or the creative origination that we had um, started to, to, move out of the system. So therefore um people started paying their mortgages, people that were truly able to afford what they had purchased or are paying on them. So mm-hmm. um we I'm not saying we won't see it again, but maybe not at the the range we did uh back in oh three. So yeah, I used to tell people before it was popular and after it was popular. So
0: right. I didn't realize they were happening to that extent before oh seven, oh eight.
1: Um. yeah, I mean, a majority of them were, you know, obviously there's still crises or crises, but circumstances like individuals lose their job, etc. Um, but I mean, if you look at the adjustable rate mortgages and the interest only's that were being originated on, those really Ooh, started in, in the 90s. So that creative well, late 90s. So that creative lending didn't the 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 uh, things didn't start falling off the cliff and the arms didn't start adjusting until year five, six, seven, eight. That started putting those adjustments in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. And that was just the big floodgate getting ready to open of all the foreclosures. Mm-hmm. So That makes sense. Yeah.
0: So do you still have your finger on the pulse today with that market? Um, absolutely. I feel for a couple of reasons.
1: One is just um, partnering with people that still um, manage those properties. Um, Depending on if it's just one per year, up to 10 per year, you know, whatever volume they might have, I still continue those relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. My expertise was was in short sales, disposing of bank owned assets um, and handling those assets and knowing what the bank requires for them to be not only maintained and looked at from a property management standpoint, but liquidated. Um, So I still try to keep my finger on the pulse, knowing that hopefully I got into the business young enough that it might um, you know, come full circle, and if it does, hopefully, I'm, I'm, you know, still in the business that I can take advantage of of being able
0: to assist people or banks in that. Gotcha. So, what do, what do you think's going to happen with today's current market? What's going on?
1: Um, you know, I I definitely don't see foreclosures coming back. Anytime soon, to be honest with you, we're going to need a pretty big effect uh, to happen nationwide, kind of like kind of what we just went through COVID and COVID Mm -hmm. didn't even, you know, um, even with the loss of jobs, everything, um, you know, both the the government and and the public reacted so quickly um, that didn't put us in the same boat. Also, everybody now has equity where back in 2008, no one had equity. Um, So I just feel there's more. Equity in you know, the market now that if this happens, it's not going to be for a while. And let's not forget that the first um, that the um, the new builders are still not at the, the pace they're supposed to be for building enough for as many as people are still becoming homeowners. I mean, even if we look at millennials, you know, if, if as soon as they turn around 30, 32, they're buying. And if we don't have enough homes, it's still going to just create that supply and demand problem, which seems to be hindering a lot of markets across the nation. Mm-hmm. So I still feel until we break out of that logjam and there's enough inventory out there, I have to say that that demand or that, that drive in pricing is still going to be there. I mean, shoot, we're at 7 7.5% rates now and still helping buyers. Um, it's yeah. just that listings right now are, are taken forever. So
0: I think it's still well,
1: there. But I think it's quite healthy.
0: Totally. totally. It's much more healthy than it was a couple Mm of years ago. And um, you're probably seeing this too, but it seems like houses that are priced right are seeing multiple offers. They're getting bid up. So those types of houses are moving pretty well, like well-done houses that are priced uh, competitively.
1: Absolutely, you know, when I sit down at a listing appointment now, um, I have that discussion with individuals that hey, you know the average days on market in your 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 current neighborhood is 30 to 45 days. So consider yourself lucky if getting any type of you know significant traction or action prior to that. Um, but if it's priced, Appropriately and it's show ready. Um, and it's marketed appropriately, good pictures, not iPhone pictures, you know, making sure the home is, if it's not staged, at least it's staged with what the owner has still in the home. Um, you know, homes can sell in over a weekend, uh, especially if they're in desirable neighborhoods. You know, I had a million, I was fortunate enough to have a million dollar listing in Todd Creek up here on the north side of town. Uh, Again, average days of market were 41 in Brighton and I got it under contract in four days priced over a million, but that home and Todd Creek people literally look at those developments year over year, waiting for a home to come up so they can purchase it. So with those highly Mm -hmm. desirable, um, locations, and like you said, priced right, priced appropriately and show ready, it's, it's going to sell.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you, like someone listening to this might be thinking, this REO business, is this something that I could get into? Is this something that's a niche that people could get into these days or is there just not enough activity there? Um, You know, that's a great
1: question. I I have a lot of new individuals that come through our team um, looking to try to, you know, basically capitalize on what they hear with the doom and gloom in the news. Um, I still think it's a niche that people can be going towards, but they just have to realize how long they may wait um, you know, you have to understand the market. I try to explain uh, to other individuals. If you don't see the people that are experienced in REO going after the REO clients, there's probably a reason because there's not enough inventory for anybody to flourish in that. Um, but being prepared is a different story. Sometimes I feel like all the people that have were, were capitalizing on whether it be the foreclosures and the wave of those. Um, they, I feel like they got and built those partnerships before everything broke, before the dam let go. So to me, new people that are coming into the market should start trying to at least establish relationships. I mean, that's what our real estate's about, is relationships. So um, educating yourself on that, establishing relationships um, may prove to be beneficial, you know, in in maybe three years, if stuff starts to tick up, seven years, eight years. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, I tell people the hardest working real estate agents that you would really find in REO were REO agents, Um, agents that I could send to the city in Detroit to get a fine for weeds removed or, you know, someone in St. Louis that would go to the authorities when sightings being taken off the home and have a police report filled out. So doing things oftentimes above and beyond what a normal uh, fiduciary duty of a realtor is. So if people are open to that, 100%, I think it's worth looking into, educating yourself on, building those relationships with possible anticipation of when that windfall might happen again.
0: Okay, nice. So how would a person go about building those relationships?
1: Um, more so, it's it's the banking industry. So what I mean by the banking industry is building the relationships directly with the bank, uh, the banks found in this whole crisis that they're easier to dispose of the assets going directly to a realtor that has structured their team and processes around liquidating an asset. Um, whereas mm. um, if, if you're not able to do that, um, it's, it's not that easy. So you have to go and establish those relationships with direct individuals that work with the big banks. The people that work in the loss mitigation departments, short sale departments, and honestly convincing them why you should be their go-to person next to the other individual. And oftentimes it was those people, just like any new realtor, those people that are hungry are willing to do what their competition's not willing to do. I mean, that's the biggest thing for anybody that wants to succeed. That's what I wake up and think about almost every day. You know, if I'm not here at the office, what is my competition doing? What are the people that are the other 44,000 agents that are licensed in Denver? What are they doing? Are they sleeping in? Are they also trying to build these relationships? So I think, and I approach everything with that thought almost in mind is what is my competition doing? Um, so up uh, to, to again, circle back, it would be direct building those re- relationships directly with the individuals that work at these banks. It's not easy. Okay. You know, other than going through no, LinkedIn, no. It's, it's it's definitely not easy. But uh, it's it's all about kind of who you know.
0: Yeah, it's uh, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Right,
1: one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. So, what kinds of things are other people not willing to do that you are willing to do or you did?
1: The um, I I think one of the big things. I mean, let's look at the number one complaint of realtors: communication. You know, whether that be updates to their client, communications back to their clients, communications Mm -hmm. with other realtors. So things that are just communicate, be proactive. Don't wait for someone to ask you update. Um, You know, some of those things that agents are willing to do, to be honest with you, pick up the phone. So many agents Mm -hmm. are still not willing to pick up the phone or cold call. You know, I mean, the original people that have made it in this business have been the people that are not only consistent, but the people that are still willing to pick up the phone. Um, mm-hmm. Picking up the phone is a huge scenario. Um, don't get me wrong. I always try to emphasize to new agents that come in the business that, you know, tailor to your audience. Right now, if you want to be a successful agent, you may tailor to a millennial. You may tailor to a, a uh, boomer. You know, a boomer doesn't want a text. A boomer wants a phone call. A boomer doesn't want a digital signature. A boomer wants you to sit down at the at the uh, kitchen table and bring the contract with you so he can see it. You know, so tailoring uh, that to each one of those individuals and knowing how to tailor to your audience is, is really, you know, to me, one of the huge things um, to allow for success at anything.
0: Yeah, totally. So do you mentor other agents right now?
1: Um, I do not. Um, I do not. Okay. I've always emphasized that I'm, I am I plan on. Um, but right now, to be honest with you, RJ, is uh, my difficulty is, is I feel that. Um, how do I say this? I feel like almost that uh, my, my um, expectations are too high. So what I've realized and a lot of my mm-hmm. mentors have told me is that if you expect to go out and hire a bunch of Roberts, you're going to be disappointed. Because most agents, you know as as I'm sure you've seen too, even with lenders, is a lot of people fizzle out. you know one mm-hmm. two out of four don't make it past that second year. Um, you know so with that being said, it's it's doing things like that that um, that really help you, I guess keep it keep that ball rolling, keep the momentum, keep things going.
0: Yeah, totally. So that is probably
1: why I haven't yet is because I have that expectation that um, I guess I want to hire four or five people and get a couple people that are similar to me. But in reality, it's probably hire 15 to 20 to find those individuals that want to work full time, be an agent full time, answer Mm -hmm. their phone at eight o'clock at night, do a showing at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. So type of those things. So once I solidify that, and honestly, it's all about systems. If we really want people to communicate and touch base, um, you know, if I'm going to mentor someone, I want to be able to provide them that system. So it's almost flawless and kind of uh, foolproof, if you will, to to provide Mm. the level of service I'm expecting that I provide for them to provide as well. So
0: what kind of systems do you have in place?
1: Um, so what I like to do is I like to utilize the CRM system that I have right now when I'm using Follow-Up Boss. Um, I always love working smarter, not harder. So a lot of the systems mm-hmm. I have in place are automations. Um, so when I start to go through a file, I start to think of the touch bases that I want, that I want automated. Some of that automation could be just an automation to remind me to email my client a weekly update of what um, milestones we hit this week and what milestones we're hitting next week. Um, you know, some of the systems I have is, is I have a several steps that I do in my listing presentation, um, everywhere from getting, you know, the, the paperwork together to the CMA and the approach again of my audience of who's going to be on the other side, whether I'm bringing in an entire booklet with a CMA and the listing paperwork prepped, or if I'm just bringing a CMA because I'm sitting down discussing and looking at photos and pictures on my phone because the person's much younger and wants to look at everything digitally. Um, So these systems are in place that not only allow me with reminders, but also automation that either A, automatically emails the client and or B, reminds me to 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 touch uh, each file. So that's just a hint of some of the systems I have ingrained, or the systems I've put in place with my CRM.
0: You know, I think that's so key because if it, if you're like me, if I leave it to myself, inevitably I'll forget something. Yeah, it's just you know, it's just yeah. hu- being a human being. Even Absolutely. If I'm, even if I'm 95% remembering everything, it's not good enough. Yeah. You so, try to tell
1: people if it's not on your calendar, uh, it's not going to happen. So it, yeah. it's really living your life by that. And and with that automation comes honoring that calendar. If something comes up and says, hey, send this person this. You know, one of the next things I put in with the system is my past client follow-up. So I, I noticed the first two years that I was in real estate, I'm like, I haven't picked up the phone and called any of my past clients. And one of the main reasons was, What am I going to say? Like, hey, how's it going? How's the house? Um, So I felt I didn't have any value adds. So I literally sat down and created a touch, uh, a monthly um, touch base with prior clients, what I was going to say, what I was going to send. And they're all pretty much handwritten notes. Then I took all that automation and I built automation in the CRM that reminds me, okay, send Joe Smith card four. That has this written on it so i mean literally i reach over to my my folder i grab out a thank you card i write exactly what's in my crm put in the address and put it off in the mail um so things like that really um you know were some of the the holes that i found within the first two years that i had to build the system around to to really help me out
0: that's so good because so many of us fall short on our past clients it's huge yeah. I mean, that's, those are people that already know, like, and trust you, So why not exactly. follow
1: Exactly. And I found myself, I'm like, man, those are like almost the low hanging fruit that I'm not even communicating with. It's simply because I felt like I didn't have anything to say. I mean, that's funny wow. for a realtor to say that out loud. You know, I didn't have anything to talk about, so I didn't call them. <laughs> like, that's all we do, wow. you know? So that was... Yeah. Uh, that was definitely an epiphany where I was just like, wow, you know, this is, like you said, these are people that already trust me. I've already built that rapport, built that relationship. It should be the easiest one to circle back with and, and continue to build it and see if you can get referrals. I mean, right now, I'd have to say a good 60% of my business is coming from referrals. So, um, yeah, that touch base Beautiful. is imperative. So many people forget it.
0: So so how long does your follow-up system go with your past clients? Is a it year. forever?
1: So no, just year. one year. Yeah. So right now I've, I, I mean, forever should probably be something that is built um, considering everybody what moves every five to seven years. Um, so at least have a five to seven year, you know, follow up. Um, but right Ooh. now it's just yearly, at least yearly with the cards. Um, you know, Oh, it's once
0: f- a year you mean, or four? No, or
1: no, just yearly. So basically once a month for an entire year. Okay. So, so basically 12, you're going to get 12 touch bases, um, whether that be a, a phone call. Inviting you to a client uh, quarterly event, or it's going to be a card, um, usually a handwritten card for me, just, hey, what have you done with the home? I'd love to hear. I have vendors. Oh, it's your six month mark. Some of it's just statements Mm -hmm. and some of them are actual questions to engage. Um, But yeah. So I'm the kind of guy, now that you pointed that out, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have to develop something so I know it's longer <laughs> than, than one year as a follow-up, because most people there don't, don't have something to do after a year. It's usually that five to seven-year mark.
0: Yeah. And I think that long-term is important. I Very mean, much I,
1: so. Very much so.
0: For me, at least, I'm, I have people on my systems forever until they, it bounces back. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: Or they, they unsubscribe, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Which, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So so I'm kind of geeking out on this a little bit. Tell me about these 12 touch points. What are your reasons for reaching out? What, what are these notes? Um, what have you created? Within those 12 um, so a couple of uh, the, the, the
1: first of all, the notes are just exactly that, that people know I took time to literally just grab a piece of paper out, write down a personal note, whether it be two sentences, three sentences. And to be honest with the RJ, I have the worst penmanship of most people i know so Perfect. i know they know it comes from me because <laughs> it's it's usually doesn't look like it looks like someone wrote it in high school so some of the touch bases are simply just hey um you know the first one is kind of a humor one i say hey you know you've had 30 days to test drive this home do you like it or should we sell this one and find you another you know yeah. some some of it is just literal and comedic hey don't forget about me I think the second month is, hey, I hope you're now getting settling in, set, settled into your home. Have you made any changes? I'd love to hear about them. By the way, have some lunch on me. And oftentimes, I'll include like a Subway card, a Chick fil A card, um, and then one of them says, you know, I, I ask a few questions if you need vendors, and then I say, hey, you know, enjoy a coffee on me, and I, I it has a Starbucks card. Um, so basically, it's just checking in to stay top of mind. Some of it might be a little bit of humor. Some of it might be, Hey, what have you done? I'd love to hear to continue to engage with you. If you've taken down a wall, if you painted a room, put in carpet, whatever the case may be, I'd love to hear about it. Um, and then. Wherever it falls, they should be invited to a quarterly event that I do with my clients. I usually try to do a quarterly happy hour, lunch, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually coincides with the four phone calls. So everything else is a note, but the four phone calls are, Hey, you know, RJ, I'd love to invite you to my quarterly event that I'm going to hold, hold at the Lazy Dog. You know, I'm inviting all my prior clients for this quarter. would love to have you and your wife or whatever the case may be. So um, those were the steps really that were just to stay in front of them. Um, I didn't feel like the questions of what you would ask someone, you know, maybe in year three, four or five, you know, because then you might be able to spur some thought of, Hey, maybe we need a bigger den. We need a bigger kitchen. We need a bigger this. And then that discussion starts getting that and guess who created that discussion, the realtor, you know? So those are ideas that I would probably take into the two, three, four year, you know, touch, touch marks. But the first year is literally just top of mind, you know, and the reason why I do it in the first year for all you newbies take note um, is, is because most people, when they're buying a home, what are they doing at work? What are they doing with their friends? What are they doing? You know, at the supermarket, they're talking to anybody saying, Hey, I'm buying this new home. I'm buying this new home. Oh, it's got a pool. Oh, it has this. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Oh yeah. Who helped you? You know or oh, oh great, what's your realtor's name? These are when usually those discussions are being had, so if you're staying top of mind, new agents, that's how you stay. You stay top of mind because these people are talking about their real estate transaction at work so if 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 you knocked it out of the park, what better way of getting good word of mouth than the person that just bought and thinks you are the perfect person that they purchased
0: totally, totally, so do you when you, you're calling them to invite them or when you interact with your past clients, do you proactively ask for the business or do you just let it naturally come? Um, it's funny you say that.
1: I've always been, don't ask for the business. Um, and and it's, I, I don't know why, other than maybe not feeling like I, I want to um, put them in that scenario of, hey, do you know anybody else that's looking to purchase or sell? Because um, I kind of feel... It's it goes without saying, but I also know I might be failing on some opportunities because I don't simply ask. Um, so I can't give you a straight answer to that, RJ. I, I feel like um, I feel like sometimes it's inherently something that's being unsaid. You know, hey, if you know anybody else, I'm writing you a personal card to you with a a card to go get some lunch. I hope you would recommend me. Um, then ask for it. I don't know. I'm one of those agents too, RJ, that's everything's about relationships and purchasing a home or selling a home. is all about teamwork and everybody working towards the common goal. If you don't trust me and I don't trust you and you don't like working with me, why am I going to try to force this? Um, it's, it's not a cohesive relationship. So why do we continue moving forward? That's all I need someone to do is, is, is continue a relationship with me and then give me bad word of mouth. So I guess I'm one of those individuals that uh, I should, but I don't, I, I, I usually do not leave on the card. Hey, if you know anybody that's looking to buy or sell, I have to admit out of all my cards, I think only one of those says that, that go out in that year.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, speaking of relationships, I, I definitely wanted to touch on your divorce niche and what you've done with yeah. that. So tell me more about that. How long you like, how did you get involved with that segment? Um So
1: first and foremost, it was a friend that's an attorney. So I have a friend that's a, 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 a not only a, a divorced family attorney, but he's also a injury attorney. And he had called me one day because I had placed him on my boomerang mailer. So I do mailers every month. Mm. And one of those mailers I do is to past clients um, and to some, Um, I guess you could say it, um, professionals, depending on what they do. I send them boomerang every month. And, uh, for anybody that doesn't know what boomerang is, it's a little coupon that goes out on a monthly basis instead of little tchotchkes with your face and name on it that serve no purpose. It's actually a coupon for something local to wherever your client resides. Um, so I had sent my my friend, that's an attorney. Hey, you know, I sent him on this and he literally called me and just like it would be a cliche, Robert. Guess why you're top of mind? I needed a value for one of my divorcing clients on their home. And I pull out my my uh, my drawer and your uh, notepad and your boomerang uh, coupon for this month are sitting right there. So I figured I'd give you a call and see if you could provide me a CMA on this property. So I provided him a CMA and in about a week. He says, what are your thoughts on maybe listing this home? It was in Broomfield. And I was like, I would love the opportunity to do so. Um, and with that opportunity, I knocked it completely out of the park. I was able to not only sit in the front room with both these individuals, let's say, sharing their animosity and dislike for each other. Um, <laughs> um, but I was still able to, to knock it out of the park and keep really keep um, emotion out of it. Um, as a realtor, you have to learn to keep and, and as an originator, I'm sure, RJ, you have to learn to detach that emotion from it. And I think that has helped me with that um, in helping people that have animosity towards each other or in that that current um, situation. It allows me to kind of go weather the storm, rise above it, um, because I know it's only temporary. But uh, so I I knocked that first opportunity that he gave me out of the park um, and he was fortunate enough over the next year and a half to hand me two or three more. Um, as a realtor, when someone just calls you and says, Hey, do you want a listing? This is kind of where you're like, yeah, how do I replicate this? How do I make sure my phone rings more with these opportunities? Um, so just making sure you knock it out of the park each time you do it. I think one of the ways to knock it out of the park and what that means is with a divorce attorney, the less they have to interact with the client, the more you just Mm -hmm. handle it, the better. So attorneys like people making their job easier. So, you know, if you somehow create a great rapport and great relationship that there's less phone calls from their clients to them, I think you're, 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 you're boating well and, and doing well with the transaction.
0: Right. Right. So have you sought out other divorce attorneys since then? Oh, uh, great question. So, yes. Um, so a couple of things.
1: The first thing was, is um, this has probably been over the last two years. So I knew this year was going to be a little bit slower. Um, so with that being said, I took my attorney friend. Um, to lunch uh, the last month of the year, and literally said, "Hey, what I've been doing for you, I want to scale, and I want to scale this with more attorneys. I want to know, you know, what's a good approach. Um, You're attorney yourself. Are Popeyes with a cake? Popeyes with a lunch coupon?" Are they going to be received? Well, should I continue to send out boomerangs, whatever the case may be? So he gave me a few ideas. Not only that, he gave me about 10 referrals that were um, attorneys that he knows that are local here Mm -hmm. on the north side of town. So Mm -hmm. I immediately started putting them on my boomerang. Um, I started sending them just touch base letters. Hey, my name's Robert. Introducing myself. You know, this is, um, you know, I'd love to maybe bend your ear, take you to lunch and tell you how I might be able to make your divorce you know, situations easier. Um, for the first couple of months of the year, it was only about 10 to 12 uh, attorneys that I really built this campaign around. Um, and then now I'm, I've purchased a uh, list of about 100, 150 here on the north side of town because um, I feel just like people, it's a numbers game. So if I'm going to mm-hmm. go towards the divorce attorneys, I can't just market to 10. If I market to 10 and, and the conversion rate's 10%, that means one out of 10. So I need to market to 100, you know, so I'm I'm really starting to scale that. And part of the scaling will be just putting them in Boomerang. Um, Now that Boomerang has different slogans and different statements, you know, divorce specialist. Let me make your divorce clients job easier, whatever the case may be. It's all tailored to the divorce attorney. So when I log in, I have a consumer Boomerang account and I have a divorce attorney Boomerang account. Um, hmm. so just working on doing that and then just letters and I'm going to stop by with the Popeye's and what I'm going to do this time is I'm going to bring, if they won't let me take them to lunch, I'm going to bring them a card, a gift card enough where they can go to lunch themselves. And I'm, that's not going to be the subway card or the the Chick-fil-A. That's probably right. going to be <laughs> like, you know, a 30 or $40 gift certificate or even 50 to maybe Red Lobster. So they remember, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, that's been this year's, um, you could say, um, scaling portion. is taking that USP and and uh, um, and amplifying it, basically trying to take it to the masses. Um, so yeah, divorces aren't easy, but uh, marketing to the attorneys is is also not easy. So that's where I've been taking it this year, um, to see if I can I can scale it.
0: Have you found some to be receptive, or are you getting a lot of resistance? Um, I'm getting a lot of crickets, Um,
1: <laughs> to be honest mm. with you. And I think it's also, again, the the numbers game. um, But also just, yeah, I feel attorneys aren't the easiest ones to get a hold of, to have someone just bend their ear. I mean, let's be frank. Most of them are paid by the minute of their time. So just giving up mm. their time to someone just to try to sell them on things. Um, Also, I, I also feel like there's a lot of agents out there that market to them that really don't know how they're going to make an attorney's job easier. And I think overcoming them as well and doing something different um, is, is what's going to help hold me apart. Um, I think that's also what I've been able to play off of some of my successes to start to think, okay, what is my competition doing? And they're not getting traction. So why am I going to emulate the same thing that everybody else is? Why don't I step back and look how I can do this differently differently? Like, is anybody really stopping by with a card? Um, another idea was, is um, attorneys have oftentimes like conferences and gatherings. One of them is called law day. So oftentimes a municipality or a um, a uh, county will have Adams County law day, Jefferson County law day. What better way to maybe show up and start relationship building than, hey, yeah. can I stop by and bring breakfast burritos for a hundred people? Can I... Can I stop by and maybe just have a little booth with with some pens and some notepads or, you know, whatever the case may be, where I can market to them in a different matter, where everybody else might be calling them. I'm actually showing up to their conferences and bringing breakfast mm-hmm. or or sponsoring something of that matter. So um, that's where I'm going to try to change it up this year is to to introduce or build those relationships in a totally different manner than a majority of my competition is doing.
0: I like it. I like it. Well, that sounds like a really um effective niche i mean that's probably a lot of times it's a couple transactions i would guess because you're correct. you're helping both mm-hmm. exes
1: absolutely so, absolutely and then if both those exes are fortunate enough to be in a financial position you can turn those two deal that one deal into several absolutely yeah, so that's always yeah. been yeah that's that's love uh, it. the end goal if you will
0: <laughs> yeah so yeah. nice well, what are some, some other, um, words of advice you'd have for newer agents or agents looking for some new ideas? Um, you know, one of the main things
1: that I was thinking of is, is honestly the, the, <clears throat> don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Communication is, is key. The biggest complaint that we have against realtors is again, we don't communicate. Um, so oftentimes mm-hmm. just shooting an email, making a phone call is going to differentiate you from everybody else. Um, and then the other two things are, again, what I've already talked about is is literally, what is my competition doing? You know, if, if they don't have the willingness to pick up the phone and cold call, if they don't have the willingness to circle prospect a listing that they were fortunate enough to get, if they don't have that, then you need to be that person if they're not doing it. Um, and then tailor to responsibilities or excuse me, to personalities, not responsibilities. Lastly, huh. tailor to, to uh, personalities. I see so many people that offer a certain product or level of service and feel that it tailors to everyone when it really doesn't. You know, I try to explain to some of the new agents that have come through that you're going to have to bring a totally different listing presentation for someone that's bought and sold four homes than someone that is selling their first home. You know, you need to have a different listing presentation if the person's 24 years old and lives in Wash Park or if the person's 65 years old lives in Broomfield and has owned four homes. So being able to be flexible and react to different personalities and have the foresight, okay, this person's probably not going to react well if I just bring my phone and be like, hey, I just need you to sign this listing right here. The agreement will come digitally. You know, to me, tailoring to your client and your audience is huge. Um, I'm not saying, you know, have a different step and a different process for everything, but just know, it's it's sales 101. Know your audience. Mm-hmm you know yeah that's that's the biggest thing is is i already believe in the product i love the product it's know my audience so that would be those those would be the biggest tidbits that i would give to people that i feel is has really helped success because my wife asked me the same question when i was like hey i'm been doing all this big for 15 years i think i want to be licensed what are you going to offer that everybody else doesn't offer I had to answer that question from before I even got licensed. (laughs) Right, (laughs) Right exactly. So I I guess over the last five, five and a half years, I have to develop uh, a thought of okay, what, what am I offering? What am I doing differently that no one else is, or only very few are?
0: That's really, that's really wise that you say that. Thanks. You know, something that someone with so much experience would know, and I think it seems like you have a natural sense of that too, which is you know, just a testament to the way you do business. Absolutely. And that would probably go circle back to that whole, you know, question on
1: whether you, you know, if I'm mentoring anybody right now, that would probably be the one reason is because I'm not going to find people that like that think things proactively, like the way I do. Um, So I guess building a system to how to build those people. I mean, everything comes with repetition and desire to want to do it, but, uh, I think I have to rip that Band-Aid off and start realizing I'm going to have to go through quite a few people to start building and mentoring a lot of people um, to Mm -hmm. make it worth my time and worth their time and, and beneficial
0: for everybody involved. So, Sure. Well, if someone wants to connect with you, how can they find you?
1: Um, online so I have not only my my you know they can go to my website Robert sells Denver so I have a website up um, right now um, you can also just give me a call or shoot me a quick email um, but yeah if you look me up there's not a lot of passive fumes um, let alone in Denver Colorado <laughs> um, so if you're fortunate enough yeah. to be able to remember every letter of my name you'll find me really quick on a quick google search but
0: yeah' uh, okay, uh, sure
1: so uh, but yeah that that's, that's how so you, that's how you can reach out to me or give me a quick call.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate it, Robert. Absolutely. RJ. Thanks
1: so much for having me, man. I really appreciated this. This was, this was cool.
0: Awesome. Well, for, and for all your listeners out there, please subscribe to the show. Um, give us a five-star review if you're so inclined. And we really appreciate you listening. And once again, my name is RJ Baxter with Robert Passifium and you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.